Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wannabe Entrepreneur, the podcast about what it's like to bootstrap a company. And today I'm here with uh, Jakob Greenfeld. Welcome to the show, Jakob. How are you? Thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing well, feeling well. The weather is finally getting better here in Denmark. Okay. And yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Is it is it like sunny? Like How is the weather in Denmark normally? Or is it like typical German yeah. weather, like which is very cloudy? Yeah, I mean, it's raining every day, but at least um, sometimes the sun comes out and this is <laughs> good enough. Okay. Is, is, is it better because uh, Jakob is from Germany originally? Is it better than there or not so much? Oh, no. Um, the weather in Germany definitely was better, um, especially... Oh, really? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, especially I'm from south of Germany and Karlsruhe and Mannheim actually um, are the cities where um, with the most sun in Germany. So it, it almost never rained there. And okay. yeah, and here it really rains almost every day. <laughs> oh yeah, rain is the worst, isn't it? I mean, cloud is also <laughs> the lack of sun is also bad, but uh, you know, rain. Yeah, you have to get used to it. I mean, the 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 first thing I had to learn here is really that you have to do stuff even though it rains, right? In Germany, if it rains, you st just stay at home and say, okay, today I'm not going for a run or play soccer or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. if you do the same thing in Denmark, you you don't do anything. <laughs> So you just have to go outside true, anyway. True. You kind of adapt to the weather. I think that it's yeah. completely true. Um, and buy so, better clothes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's so. What is the saying? It's not. It's not the weather. It's your clothes. No, was it? There's no bad weather, only bad clothes or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> it's, it's, I was always hearing that in, in Germany when I was living there, because <laughs> you know in Portugal <laughs> it's always sunny most of the days and. If it's just, you know, if it's a little bit cloudy or if the temperature drops below 10, everyone is complaining. <laughs> so, Jakob, today we are going to be speaking about your bootstrapped MBA, which is, I found a very interesting concept, the idea of kind of bootstrapping your own education. So, uh, and I, I noticed that you also have a very big Twitter profile with almost 9,000 followers, which is really amazing. And you have a lot of cool products and projects going on. So I, I'm, I'm sure it will be a really cool conversation. And um, yeah, I would just start by asking you to introduce yourself and speak a little bit about Jakob and how this journey started. Yeah, sure. I studied physics, actually. And um, I started studying immediately after school. So we had like just one social year where I went to emergency room. But afterward, I studied physics. And this is what I did for 10 years, actually. I went over okay. the full distance, so I did a bachelor, a master, and a PhD, and worked as a research assistant afterward. Um, but yeah, already during the PhD, it became clear to me that I won't stay in academia. Because, Why? yeah, the system is kind of broken. <laughs> if you have never worked at a university, you have this kind of romantic picture of what working in academia and doing science is like. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, it's, it's not quite accurate because um, it turns out that almost no one is able to do what I would call real research. <laughs> so because everyone has to churn out papers, right? You you have to publish a paper every three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do this, you're, you're out, right? You don't get another job. 
you won't get invited to conferences, you're out of the system. But this also means that you can never do risky research, right? You can never do a project where it's not clear what the outcome will be, because then you then the chances are very high that after three months, you won't have a result or after six months, right? It's funny because uh, my my partner, she also did a PhD in biology and I, I kind of know, and she complained about exactly the same things and how we were just chatting about it recently, how broken um, academia is, right? Because uh, in the end, there's a big gap between also academia and kind of the real world. And there's a lot of science being made that no one uh, knows about, right? Also because the way... It's shared, like when you, when you write papers and so on. It's 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 written in a language that a lot of people just do not understand, right? It's only for the the, the pros and the the academics that they, they are the ones that know. And um, what was your uh, PhD about? Exceptional groups and grand unified theories. How would you explain this to a five-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think. So the the big topic um, in almost all my projects was symmetries and. This is like what we have at the heart of fundamental physics, the big, big thing um, we figured out in the past 100 years. There are rules and we can deduce these rules um, from symmetries. And this is kind of a beautiful idea um, because, yeah, in principle, you know, you can write down infinitely many equations. Um, but if you know that these equations have to obey certain rules, and this is what symmetries are, right? A symmetry is you do an operation and it, it remains unchanged. And if, if, I have a, if I have a ball, I can rotate it. And um, yeah, you close your eyes, I rotate it, you open them again and you can't see any difference. Right. And this is why we say, yeah, a ball has a rotational symmetry. And okay. um, the same is true for equations, right? You can do certain operations to these equations and they are unchanged. Mm -hmm. And the equations can also encode, in a sense, the rotational symmetry and stuff. And yeah, though, though you can like write down equations just by yeah. just from a set of symmetries. And the idea then is, of course, if you want to go beyond the series, the ideas that we currently have, um, yeah, let's let's stick to this idea and just use better symmetries, right? <laughs> and uh, because the the current symmetry we have, like at the heart of physics, is kind of ugly. Um, it's 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 kind of a puzzle, and but it's a puzzle that nicely fits into yeah more beautiful structures, and this is what I what I explored. Um, embedding the symmetry that we have into a better symmetry, <laughs> a better in a in a in a mathematical mathematical sense. I, I'm having the same feeling that I have when my my partner some, sometimes explains their thesis to me because it's so <laughs> complex. So tell me like this: How can I apply that in you know in let's say quote unquote real life? Is there a way where we can apply this, or is there is it already being applied in the, in some concepts that we it would be more tangible for us? No. So my <laughs> like the like the like the field, yeah, the field I'm uh, I, I was in is really like the most fundamental, and it's mm -hmm. the, the farthest removed from applications. <laughs> okay. So there there are not really like um, any applications. And where's the motivation for that? Because uh, and now you're also bootstrap. You're also an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you always want to help people with what you build and see the, the use case of what you're building. But in your PhD, there's not like a use case that everyone can just grasp. So wh where is the motivation coming from to, to work on, 
on those uh, projects. Curiosity, right? <laughs> and there is, I mean, at least some people are, me included, are very fascinated um, how nature works at the most fundamental level and just studying it and trying to figure it out and maybe add something to this puzzle is deeply satisfying in itself. But on the other hand, um, there are applications, but there is always a delay, right? right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it 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 took yeah it it it, it took many years um, for uh, between like uh, fundamental discovery and real applications. And just let's just look at quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is 120 years old, and just now slowly up. People are starting to build real quantum computers, right? Right. <laughs> and the That's same true. will happen with quantum field theory, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like the the level below. And there are certain applications, like in superconductors, um, which are explained with, with with quantum field theories. But yeah, for even more fundamental stuff like the Higgs mechanism and stuff, there are zero applications so far, but I have no doubt that they will come yeah. <laughs> just maybe in 100 years or whatever. Or even if they don't, right? Like just the fact that you at least know this and kind of understand how, how the universe works, even if you cannot use it to in, to the benefit of the humans, is it's already fascinating, right? It's just you are, as you said, you are contributing for the greater knowledge, for the knowledge of humankind. Is that something that motivates you? Uh, to yeah, absolutely. Science? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly put. <laughs> how would you fix... This is a very hard question, I just realized, but how would you fix academia? Because you eventually left, right? But I would love to, to hear your thoughts. You just said that there's a huge problem with just, you know, you have to follow the papers and the publications and the citations... Is there any other way to do science, to, you know, change the way we do science so that it's more uh, interesting for people like you to just pursue it for the rest of their lives? Yeah, there are a few things, small and big things. And I mean, the, the biggest improvement, the, the quickest fix would be to separate um, the different jobs a professor is currently doing. Um, because right now at universities, professors are responsible for teaching, for raising funding, mm -hmm. for managing research teams and for research, doing research themselves, for going to conferences, like, like marketing stuff. They, they have to do everything. <laughs> and usually what suffers the most is the education part, mm -hmm. the teaching, because there's no real reward. Um, they yeah. just have to do it. And it actually doesn't matter if they do it, if, if they're doing it any, if it's any good what they are doing. So, um, I mean, there are, of course, exceptions, but... That's why some of the college teachers are just so bad, right? They, and I, I, I exactly. had that, that example in my own college, where they just don't care. They are just terrible teachers, even though they are, might be very no knowledgeable in their areas. Exactly. And I mean, on the other hand, there are many, many people who would love to teach at a university level, but they can't. <laughs> because there's there's currently just one position it's the professor mm. and um it's very very competitive right mm. there are just a, a very small number of these positions and they get paid a lot and whatever and, and they you get could tenure just, right exactly it's also fixed positions exactly a fixed position that's what basically as you just mentioned before that's what any scientist wants you know some stability in their lives to have a family and you know to settle down so you you basically want to to bring academia or, or to, to face academia more like a business, right? You have the marketing experts, you have 
the the PIs, you have the teachers. You you want to split each yeah. each each uh, area into its own kind of profession. But I guess for that, then the way academia makes money would also need to change somehow, right? Now the way they make money is mostly by the taxpayers, right? And uh, and for that they need great publications. Um, if you want to split that up and, and to pay multiple salaries, because as you just said, a, a principal investigator, they end up doing a lot of different jobs. If you want to, to pay all these this different jobs, it needs to become profitable and the academia needs to make money, right? Uh, I mean, the, the thing currently is that professors are paid a lot, a lot of money. And this is completely unnecessary because these jobs are desired either way, right? And I'm pretty sure if you just yeah, cut the current salary into multiple Ooh. pieces, you would still <laughs> get uh, quite a few nice jobs. We are just and getting thousands of emails of uh, angry um, professors <laughs> <laughs> saying, who is this guy? <laughs> they want to cut my salary. <laughs> no, I've, uh, I've, I've talked to many professors and they, they, uh, they're actually people seeing it the same way because, yeah, I mean, being a professor is a very cool job, right? And mm. money is not the, the primary motivation. So it's completely unnecessary that they get the true, amount of money true. that they get. It makes zero sense. Uh, one thing is for sure, Germany, for instance, there's a lot, there's much more money for science than in Portugal. In Portugal, most of the grants that people get are uh, public grants that you have to apply for. The institutes they normally don't have the money to hire uh, PhDs or academic or postdocs or something. So I definitely I, I I believe that there's a need for more money in science, and uh, and especially now with COVID, we could see how important science is, right? I mean, we were able to create a vaccine in under a year or so, just because there were the fundamental science behind it to to support it. So I think science is absolutely important. I I think there's a need for more investment, and I also think that there's a need to to reduce the gap between academics and uh, common people, you know, and uh, there's there's a, a, already a lot of publications and a, a lot of magazines that try to do like two versions of a paper. You have the scientific version and then you have the the version that everyone basically understands. There's a lot of YouTubers also coming up and reading papers and translating these papers to a way that everyone understands. So I, I love this. I love this idea of bringing science to the common mortal and the common to the muggles <laughs> uh, so you you decided to to leave the um, that world behind and you um i don't know if you immediately started this this bootstrapping or this mba bootstrapped concept but let, let's jump to to this uh, area so why did you decided to start bootstrapping your own education i um already decided to make this cut during my PhD and then I went to the to the recruiting events right um, and there are a few typical jobs you can get with my background which is like consulting finance and software development mm -hmm. and I went like to the recruiting events talked to the people and quickly found out yeah this is not my world this is not my people this is not my tribe um, I wouldn't get happy trying to climb a corporate ladder or something it's just not yeah, something I can do. <laughs> yeah, makes um, sense. And I, I wouldn't be successful. Um, also, of, of course, because if you don't enjoy it, if you're not the kind of person who likes this game, you never will be very good at it, obviously. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then slowly this plan started to emerge 
in my mm. head to because I, I know also that for a lot of PhDs that try then to move to the academic to the non-academic world and um, it, it's not easy so uh, is, is it a common problem for people that came from academia that they just don't fit in with the uh, with the muggles <laughs> with the non-academics yeah Kind of. I mean, it's not too hard to get a job um, with a PhD in theoretical physics because it's kind of like a certificate of intelligence. <laughs> so it's like um, it's just, people, all companies know that you don't have like any industry specific knowledge, but it's this guy is smart, right? <laughs> and they right. they they are usually happy in, in at least some industries, right? Like consulting. Um, they are happy to, to, to have just PhDs because it good, looks good um, to their clients. If they can tell, okay, our team consists of just physics, PhDs, whatever. And similar stuff is in finance. And yeah, also, I mean, there is a lot of coding going on in physics. So um, yeah, many, many of my colleagues, fellow PhD students ended up at a software development. It, it heavily depends on what you study. And for something like physics, it's not immediately clear what you do. If you would explain your PhD uh, to someone <laughs> that is interviewing you, they'll be like, okay, <laughs> QA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, exactly. Where would I put you? Like, uh, it's, it's really, really hard to, to grasp that. So how did you go from there to bootstrapping your own entrepreneur career? I was following the whole indie entrepreneur world for a while probably my biggest source of inspiration, Peter Levels with his 12 startups in 12 months experiment. But also, yeah, mm -hmm. other people just, um, it's it's funny, right? Because, I mean, 30 years, 20 years ago, this wouldn't have, I, I never would have realized that this is an option, right? You, <laughs> um, you, you can either be like a traditional businessman, whatever that means, or you can, you can get a regular job. But um, thanks to the internet, um, yeah, I realized there is this whole other world, right? You don't need to be like an outlier success, but you also don't need to get a boring job. You can really carve out your own path. And it's possible because there are people just like me who've done it. And um, yeah, this, this gave me the idea. And then I came up with a plan to give myself 12 months to try if this, this can work for me, if I enjoy it. And I developed yeah, I developed a relatively rough plan. So part of the plan was just like Peter to do 12 projects in 12 months um, because yeah, output is important to really see how the market responds to different ideas and not and making sure I don't end up in, in, in some deep hole <laughs> and never validate my ideas. But also other stuff like ideating. I, I committed to writing down like business ideas product ideas every day just to train my idea muscle. I wanted to get better at putting my brain out there because this is what I saw. Um, the people who were successful in this whole new world were people who yeah, put their brain out there so that other people, like-minded people can find them, so that opportunities can find them. And so I also committed to yeah, publishing on my site, um, publishing on Twitter. Um, so, so yeah, becoming visible <laughs> in a sense, and yeah, doing all these things um, at the same time every month, every day, and then after twelve months, re-evaluating how it went, 
and if I want to continue. And this was, I think, 17, 17 months ago. So obviously I decided to continue. I've been doing it for one and a half years or maybe even a bit longer because the, I would say the, the Bootstrap MBA was a, was a success. And it was even a bigger success than I expected because obviously I saved some money um, before just for my PhD salary and my research assistant salary, um, which I did for a few months. Mm -hmm. um, and I fully expected kind of to lose it all, <laughs> right? Um, so in a sense that I, yeah, I, I wouldn't make enough money to, to pay for my living expenses. But it was the idea of the bootstrapped MBA to, to make money? Yeah, uh absolutely. I thought that the bootstrap the MBA was just the concept of you kind of self-educating, right? How would you make money with such a with such a thing? The bootstrap MBA has a double meaning, right? I want to bootstrap my own education, but I want also I, I want to learn bootstrap entrepreneurship, right? This is like the the double meaning. My goal was like to learn how to how to launch successful indie projects, how to build successful businesses and a successful businesses. Right. One that makes money, that makes profit. <laughs> so, like, this was just in the... It was not the primary goal, but um, this is yeah what I was hoping for, of course, that at least one of these projects I started during the 12 months would generate some revenue. Did, did, you, did you know what you wanted to learn? Did you kind of write it down and said, okay, this is what I want to become good at after, after this MBA? Yeah, yeah. Um, I tried to be very systematic. Because knowing myself, I, I can get lost very easily in like these deep rabbit holes. So I, I needed some structure and I identified kind of like the areas I want to level up in. Um, and one is um, ideation, really mm -hmm. learning how to find good ideas, ideas worth pursuing, how to evaluate ideas, how to validate ideas. This is kind of like one of these core skills that I identified, but also stuff like content and writing and different kinds, right? You, you have to learn how to use a platform like Twitter. And um, at least for me, this is not something I'm naturally good at. So I had to learn it and I yeah, made it made a conscious effort. And also, yeah, definitely coding because I, um, even though lots of physicists are good at coding, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't learn. I guess coding is always the, the easiest one because for me, marketing and all of this, this is like, how do you even learn that, right? Like what, what how do you know what to learn? So you, your, your idea was just to, to follow others and, and to follow other uh, bootstrappers, right? Or did you like invest in, in some books or or uh, some uh, literature that would like teach you the basics of, of uh, marketing and product building and so on. At the beginning, I had the idea um, that books would be very important for me because I like reading. And I quickly learned that this is not very effective. <laughs> I think it's far more effective to really study what other people are doing and why is it not very effective to, to read books because you, you you won't find the best stuff in books usually for whatever reason people people um what people do and what they say is is, is usually very different and also you have this thing um yeah those who, who can do and those who can't teach yeah right <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah it's not entirely true but it's it's hard to find really good resources because there's a lot of nonsense out there and obviously if someone is like a full-time writer 
his lessons will not be very good for, for an entrepreneur, at least in my opinion, because yeah, you need like this, this real world experience. I think I got far more out of um, really studying people um, what what is working for them. And also, you know, especially with marketing, things are changing so, so quickly. So books can't keep up with it. It's simply the wrong medium. There are some fundamentals you can learn, obviously, and you should mm-hmm. learn. Like, okay, what is a funnel, right? Like these basic notions and just these basic ideas. What is a landing page and conversion rate and stuff? But once you have that, it's it, it becomes very specific to what you're actually trying to accomplish, your budget, um, the niche you're in, and also things are changing so, so quickly. So what what's working um, two years ago even is no longer working today, right? The, the thing with Peter Levels is just the perfect example, right? His The little hack he was using yeah, yeah, of just with- launching every feature as a new, as a new product on Product Hunt. Um, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and, yeah, but but now there are new 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 tricks, right? And you you really have to, yeah. <laughs> At the time when when the books get written, it's all it's usually too late. Yeah, but you also have the concept of bitter levels, for instance, where he wrote a book where he always updates it, right? It's a kind of a live book. You know, it's always changing. The platforms are changing. Everything marketing strategy are changing, and. Uh, how do you decide whom to follow uh, and and uh, I guess on Twitter and so on, how do you decide that? I, I like to follow people who are actually doing what I would like to do, right? And I'm not big into influencers, <laughs> like people who are just, um, yeah, posting motivational stuff, whatever, or just faking it um, in order to sell their, their courses and stuff. And... I mean that's 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 a whole different world, and some people like that, like the whole motivational, fluffy stuff. But it's not for me. I yeah. really like um, people building in public and really sharing the lessons along the way. And can you give um, some examples yeah. of people uh, that you like following and that you learned a lot from? Oh yeah, totally. Let me let me go on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> and see. I mean, you can see who I'm following, and then. Well, I, I mean, definitely Peter Levels, right? So yeah, that, obviously, that was the, the first person for you. Uh, and I think he's a great inspiration for uh, a lot of us because he is a builder, right? So he doesn't spend a lot of his time making money with courses. I mean, he did the, the book, but that was just because everyone was asking him to, to actually write the book, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, is there anyone in, in particular that uh, we should also follow and keep an eye and learn from? For example, I think um, Ryan Culp is a fascinating character and okay. he's, he has this whole honest marketing stuff, but he's also, um, he, he, he really shared some good stuff along the way. Now he's kind of a bit out of the game. Um, he's semi-retired, so <laughs> there is no longer that much interesting stuff coming, I think, from him. But um, I, I learned a lot from his older, from his older posts. Mm-hmm. Then, so another. you would just go to Twitter and see what they were, how they were communicating, and uh, and try to copy. Would you like spend time actually analyzing and writing down their kind of tweets and and seeing what worked, what didn't, uh, or it just was more an organic thing and you just absorbed by consuming their media, their content? No, I was. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, very, very systematic. Um, oh, okay. I'm trying to be very systematic. So really, when I started, I compiled this list of people 
um, who I thought were very good at Twitter. And then I actually okay. downloaded all their most popular tweets. And then I tried to find patterns, right? You can just search on Twitter, you can enter a name, and then you can use minfavs for the minimum mm -hmm. number of lives, likes. And then for, um, I, yeah, I downloaded it, I, I put it into a, a table, and I tried to find patterns, and there were patterns. <laughs> I so tell us, few. tell us what this. Yeah. I like. I love that you are bringing basically your PhD and academic mindset, your researcher mindset, to the world of entrepreneurism and, and bootstrapping. It's really interesting. So tell tell us about these patterns. What have you discovered? Yeah, I actually turned it into a product. Um, at at one point, um, it's called whattotweet.com. Okay. And I actually no longer own it. I sold it, but um, and I started it. Um, it. It was a direct direct result of this um, research I did. Okay. So um, you you can see if you go to what to tweet, it's it's very very simple. Um, mm -hmm. You go to the website, and all it shows you is a prompt, right? And it then just tells you do this. And Wait, you can did you sell example. it to Tweet Hunter? Yes, exactly. Wow, cool! I I, I interviewed Tibor here. Uh, yeah, Twitter. he's cool. <laughs> he's yeah. a cool guy. Um, small world, like I said. Yeah, the <laughs> in the yeah. entrepreneurship community is. I put like all the patterns I found. Um, I I then formulated prompts that would allow me to write these kind of tweets, and I really just built it for myself in the start. So, because as I said, I wanted to get into like the habit of tweeting and building, um, like putting myself out there and I used it for myself. So I really just, um, went to this, it wasn't a website, right? It was just an HTML file on my desktop that I opened and, um, it was showing me these prompts randomly. And then I was, um, yeah, writing tweets every day. Okay. But here you're just getting, fetching the tweets that got the most, um, I guess, likes and engagement. But did you really discover what was making them tick? Like maybe a particular topic or a way they were written? Did you really discover why they were su so successful? At the time, I didn't. <laughs> um, but, 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 but yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm a bit older and wiser <laughs> and understand a few more things. But no, at the time, I didn't. Um, okay. I really just um, looked at, I actually just found it um, like my big table with all the all the tweets um, that I that I created, and then I created like these these, these categories, and then these categories became prompts. And yeah, now it's a website um, that I sold, and you can just okay. see like it's the, it's these typical examples of tweets that people put out. Um, at least in in the small world we're living in, obviously in in different communities you see other types of tweets, and mm -hmm. that that I. Yeah, notice were working um, in a sense that they got a response from people that they got attention and this is what I did <laughs> and um, but now you say that you already kind of understand why they were working uh, do you do you want to tell us because <laughs> like I think everyone wants to know <laughs> what are the tweets that work the most like and why do they work sometimes there are things as simple we in just in our community I think Luca was saying that uh, he just had a tweet with a huge engagement just because he wrote, I'm from Italy, where about you? You know, something super simple. Um, 
So is it really like just the algorithm that is random or are there actual topics that are uh, that they just click and they work better than others? And which topics are those? No, I mean, it's it's not a lottery. Um, it's in, There is an element of chance in the sense that you, you never know, right? Sometimes stuff just flops and... Um, even though you 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 were very careful about what you're doing, you, but um, you there are certain things you can do to optimize your chances, to maximize um, the chances that the algorithm will pick it up and it goes viral. And I think the best advice is two categories. I would say one category is just postcards, and postcards are really just small updates, small signs that I'm still alive. And this really just helps to, yeah, to, to, to stay top of mind of people because opportunities to come to people who are top of mind, right? If you just okay. yesterday talked mm -hmm. to a friend and today you see something cool, you send it to this friend and not some other friend because this friend is top of mind. Yeah. And this is just human nature. And um, So just it, be consistent and tweet often exactly. and, and people will remi remember you. Exactly. Uh, and re remember, remember the, the people that they see the most, basically. Exactly. And this is also, okay. for example, why I have a personal newsletter that I write every week. It's just, yeah, pe keeping people in the loop, staying top of mind and staying connected. Right. Okay. And mm -hmm. then you have the second category where um, yeah, you really work hard <laughs> and try to go viral in order to bring your people into your world. Um, to make more people aware of your existence, and so you um, basically try to see what others are doing that are making them viral, and you try to clone that. Is that true? Yes, and I mean, for example, the most important thing. Yeah, it's kind of a dirty word, but clickbait, right? And um, um, like writing tweets is like uh, writing headlines, and if you want to have a blog post you wrote go viral. Um, or get some attention, you better spend some time um, on your headline. And it's the same on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You really need to study what makes people click. And once you've figured it out, it works um, for yeah. headlines the same yeah. way it works for YouTube videos and for mm -hmm. tweets. And the most important thing is that you, um, I think, is that this is the best advice, is to study viral emotions. And there is a set of viral emotions. Um, what, are, what are these uh, viral emotions? So emotions that are easier to get viral, like I don't know, love or sadness, or is that? Yeah, it? there are certain emotions when you when you when you are able to spark them, and when you when you are able to spark them in people, then there's a very high chance that they click that like button or comment or whatever, okay. right? And it's 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 not coming from me. It's actually coming from Sean Puri. Um, but the the set of viral emotions is, oh, that's so cute. Haha, <laughs> so true. Oh, now I get it. Finally, someone said it. Whoa, that's amazing. WTF, that pisses me off. Yay, that's great news. Lol, that's so funny. And as not safe for work, that's crazy. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, once we have this list um, of emotions, you can then take almost... Um, or you can really think um, think about them as kind of like the starting point. And mm. for example, when I'm writing a thread and the okay. Twitter algorithm really likes threads right now because it keeps people on the platform. 
and it's a it's a good way to um, to grow to get get more attention is to write threads. But um, the secret is that when you are writing threads, you should be spending like fifty percent of your time on the first tweet, right on the hook, because I don't know fifty ninety five percent of most of, of all people will never make it past the first tweet. So if you do the math. Um, this is like the, the 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 point where you're getting the highest return for your effort. So it makes a lot of sense to spend yeah a lot of time um, on tweaking the first, on the hook, yeah, on, yeah. Uh, tweaking tweaking the hook and working on mm. it. And yeah, you, you can really write write your thread, and then you take like these viral emotions and try to find an angle, right? Um, in order to do okay, what kind of content do I have in my thread? But then how can I combine it? With these viral emotions, um, maybe maybe one, mm. maybe two of them, and if you can do that, then you you have a very high chance that you go viral. And this is much much better than trying to use some templates or formulas or whatever, because it's just human nature, right? Um, and you see that because um, coming back to my my earlier analysis, um, if you know, like this is the deeper level, right? If you understand these emotions this is just human nature this is like ground truth <laughs> this is um yeah it's hard to it's hard to go deeper um but um for example yay that's great news right this is a viral emotion and you see this all the time if someone is sharing hey my revenue grew by 50 yeah, percent yeah, whatever everyone clicks <laughs> true <laughs> that true. works and another thing is and another thing is, how is it true, right? If people feel seen, um, this is this also works all the time. And um, if you create a little meme like Dagobert or whatever his name is, right? Uh, always creates these memes yeah. about how indie makers the meme forget Lord, to make. Dagobert. <laughs> forget also, to also do marketing. <laughs> <laughs> forget people always forget to do marketing, right? And every indie maker knows how is it true. So we yeah, click that yeah, like yeah. button, and. Yeah, this where, is where can works. we access all of these uh, emotions <laughs> that you're just reading? Um, do you have it written somewhere oh, that you, uh, the listeners can check it out? Yeah, if you just search for my name and viral emotions, um, okay, it, it will come up. If at Jacob Greenfold and then viral emotions on Twitter, um, you will find. I've I'll actually, try to link it in the description of the of this episode. I've so, is, is, yeah. is Twitter? You just said you have two kind of marketing strategies. You have you have your launch. And then you have your long-term um, platforms to, to get, you know, recurrent users, let's say. There are cool things you can do, like, uh, because we, for example, understand now who are the kind of people that um, that might be interested in in this. Um, we can we can actually just reach out to them. and So you just um, send them cold emails or something like this. Exactly. And I mean, this is something we, we definitely will try because... Yeah, why not? <laughs> Have you tried um, that before to any uh, of your other products? No, no, absolutely no. not. Um, I have okay. zero experience with, with cold emails mm -hmm. so far, but it's something... Yeah, I think that can work, and some agencies, um, productized services, have seen mm -hmm. some success. And I'm just um, looking at our list of experiments we want to do. We also, of course, want to want to experiment with paid um, channels because when you're making money you can also reinvest some and obviously like twitter ads <laughs> seems like a very obvious it seems like a very obvious choice but also reddit ads um which is something i'm also currently experimenting with for indie opportunities mm. and another is thing is it working I, uh, well for you the ad paying ads 
Ah, uh, the the jury is still is still not out, so it's <laughs> it's it, I haven't decided yet if it's uh, really working, but so far it looks promising. And um, the only things I really have done is to uh, Reddit um, ads, but also newsletter ads, which is um, okay. something I I think is very really, very cool, um, especially for us indie makers, because you can find some really great opportunities there. Um, and at the same time, also support cool people, right? And uh, this is—it's—it's it's not like you're you're just spending money on Google Ads or Facebook or whatever, which are very effective marketplaces. So it's very hard to yeah find like under the radar opportunities. Right. Whereas um, in newsletter ads, newsletters are very decentralized. Oh, so I didn't even is... know that there was a possibility. So you can pay. People that have a big followership uh, with their within their newsletter, you can pay them to speak about your product. How do you find them? Um, yeah, this is where it gets tricky. I mean, there are newsletter ad marketplaces, um, but in my experience, um, all the stuff you find there is completely overpriced. Um, it's much too expensive okay. for what you're getting, and the range is crazy, right? I I have people with like ten thousand subscribers asking for a thousand thousand dollar for an ad and i've booked newsletter ads for uh, newsletters with ten thousand subscribers for eighty dollars <laughs> so it's completely cool. wild and of course you have like open rates but uh, in this example the open rate was the same and also mm. the industry was the same so it's completely wild um mm -hmm. and the best opportunity is you really have to um you have to hunt for them you really have to search for your newsletters in your niche And what has Great. worked really well for me is just reaching out to the writers that I read myself, to the newsletter writers, right? <laughs> Where I'm really myself a subscriber. And yeah, I, I, kind of my, it's also easier to spend the money then um, because like I said, it's also you're sponsoring them and supporting their work. So even if you don't make a return on investment, it's okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I supported um, one of my favorite writers and that's kind of cool. Yeah, too yeah, but uh, so far it always has worked really really well and uh, like like if you're really just doing like the the mass um and you can i mean it's not too hard um to actually do a calculation because you typically know your own conversion rate you know the number of subscribers you know the open mm -hmm. rate and you know the click-through rate and then it's just an equation and the only thing you don't know is um How many people actually click on your link because typically you only get the number for like the total clicks um but then you have can then you have some typical function obviously like if the link is lower down the the email uh, it gets less clicks and the higher up on the <laughs> in the email it is and also what kind of ad it is and these different factors but yeah you can you can write you can create a little model and then just do the math mm -hmm. and um yeah then, okay, I can, I'm able to pay like $200 for this kind of ad. Mm -hmm. And then you reach out to people and see what they are charging. And like in, in, in many cases, it's just too much. And it's not, it's, the mass doesn't work out for you at least, because obviously it depends on your product, on your um, lifetime value of each customer and conversion rate. This can be very different and why some companies are able to pay a thousand bucks for an ad in a newsletter with 10,000 subscribers. Um, but yeah, it's not working for me. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I just I just reach out to um, to to, to uh, newsletters 
to writers and ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it makes total sense. Uh, I didn't know about this possibility, actually, newsletter marketing. I think it's a great tip here also for the listeners. And um, we, we spoke a lot about marketing, which makes sense because it's probably one of the hardest things for any uh, bootstrapper or any entrepreneur here. But uh, I would also like to speak a little bit about uh, the mental state and how do you put, how to, how do to endure uh, the lack of users, the, you know, working alone and uh, all of this mental part. Was that also part of your uh, study? Did you, did you have these kind of problems as well? It, it, it's actually something I didn't really anticipate, but um, it I should have. <laughs> it's, it's no, no one does, but it, it's, it in, ends up being also one of the probably one of the main reasons why people also end up quitting, right? Because exactly, absolutely, it. yeah. And yeah, entrepreneurship is an intellectual sport, and at times it's it's a very lonely one, and like it's it's kind of cringy. Like because you have all these uh, entrepreneurial influencers talking about it, but it's it's also totally true. Like the whole mindset component um, is so so important. <laughs> it, it really can't be uh, emphasized enough, I think. And it's yeah something at least I didn't realize, and I think most people don't realize when they start that this is uh, probably what accounts for I don't know fifty. 70% of your success. I don't see a lot of the influencers really speaking about, um, you know, how how it affects you. Like, So how, how did it uh, affect you? Um, when did you first start to realize that this could be a problem? I mean, there are there are many, many different parts to it, right? It's it's not just one thing, but many little things. And I, I definitely haven't figured it out. <laughs> all, uh, all of the parts, but at least some parts I'm I'm making progress and getting better at. And what's what's kind of difficult um, is yeah, connecting is like uh, having a network of people um, doing this thing, um, like carving out their own path because um, it's 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 really a small world. And online, it sometimes seems like it's a big world, but it isn't. There are actually not really that many people who are doing it, right? And definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's, I've interviewed it's, almost everyone. <laughs> exactly, right? It's, it, it, it happens all the time when I'm talking to, um, to to fellow indie makers. Everyone knows everyone, right? It's a small village. Well, let's say that you know the successful ones. I think there's many more people, but they are just not successful enough to uh, bleep in your radar, radar you know? Yes, um, if, but I would say, yeah, if like people who stuck at it for a year or so um, and, and are not complete beginners and really do it full-time, you know almost everyone, I would say. <laughs> um, it's in the, in the sense, it's a small word. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, what, what's totally true is that most people quit um, before yeah. before a year. So you, you said that you're feeling kind of lonely, was it? Yeah, I'm... I mean, it's 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 for example a problem um, locally here. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we we just moved here recently, but um, there is no like indie maker scene, right? <laughs> it it just doesn't exist at all. There are no meetups or um, easy ways to find like people um, doing doing similar things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have like a, a startup scene and events for startups, but this is kind of a different world. 
Yeah. Um, they are playing a very different game. It's all about fundraising and meeting investors and whatever. And yeah, this is <laughs> this is not. It's it's almost as little. It's not really uh, relatable um, to me. So, um, and I think it's the same for many many people who live in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there are certain hotspots, and if you if you live there, you can actually meet people doing similar uh, similar things in person. But um, for most people. It's hard. Um, online, obviously, it's much easier, right? And yeah. is it the um, same though? Uh, having you know f- fellow no. bootstrappers online and, and in a physical world. It's yeah, obviously, same, right? it's it's not the same. Obviously, it it would be really cool um, <laughs> to have like indie maker scenes all around the world, but um, it is what it is, and there's not much you can do about it. And because it's uh, it's it's simply. It, it's simply still early, mm-hmm. and this will come. And I mean, currently, I think it's. I mean, it's also cool that you have this power to connect, right, with with like um, with people from all around the world. And yeah, every time I'm talking to a different indie maker, it's it's another country, right? <laughs> I hardly yeah, meet true, uh, true, ever true. meet two people from the same place, and um, this is also. Yeah, it's cool, and I mean, it's very cool that this is now possible. Because, yeah, yeah. like I already said, let's imagine twenty years ago, what would you have do? What would yeah. <laughs> you need? To, you needed to move to a place where uh, yeah. there was already a scene of indie makers for sure. Um, did you? One thing that I they also feel is that, um, and and that's kind of also what my question when I was seeing that the fact that you're building your own uh, MBA, let's say your own uh, education, uh, is that how do you know? you're doing the right thing, right? When you're working for someone else, when you are studying, um, especially in school, not particularly a PhD, but even PhD, right? You have people that can guide you and can tell, okay, this is what you should do to reach the point B, right? This is what you should do to get your clients. This is what you should do to get profitability. Uh, That doesn't happen for us, right? So, and I feel this a lot. I'm just alone and well, there's other entrepreneurs, but they are not really working in the same project as you. So you can not always just use whatever they are doing because sometimes whatever they are doing doesn't work for your own case. And uh, this can be really overwhelming and you just don't know what to do. And uh, I don't know, for me, just by speaking about it, I, I kind of freak out. Um, is there something that also affected you? And if so, uh, how... Is, do you have any tips, any tricks from your kind of research on how to improve that and how to get past that? No, I mean, you're, you're totally right. Um, that's probably the hardest part uh, part of it, that you, yeah, you're completely on your own, responsible for everything. And I mean, it's kind of cool, but also very, very scary. It's much easier if someone just tells you what to do. And if it's the wrong decision, it yeah, it wasn't your responsibility, whatever. <laughs> and you're in, embedded in some kind of structure, but yeah, we aren't. And I mean, it's 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 also dangerous because a lot of people then start following these gurus, right? Because it's it's very very tempting because they seem to have all the answers, but yeah, they are just preying on beginners and selling shitty courses. <laughs> yes. and um it's but i mean it's totally understandable why people f- fall for it right why uh, why they they want this to be true and um 
it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, no, someone uh, someone else won't be able to give you the answers for the exact same, same reasons you just mentioned. Um, that how do you how do you overcome this? How do you how are you okay with not knowing? Uh, is it something that gets better with time? Are there certain strategies that you do? I don't know, doing some sport or having some chats with someone or just disconnecting. Is that something that you realize that somehow helped you uh, overcome certain anxieties that you might have as a bootstrapper? Yeah, I think the probably most important thing is really treating everything I do as an experiment. So I'm not, okay. I'm not married to any to any idea or any project or any piece of content, right? I I just do what I can and I then don't have any influence over the outcome. And I really try always try to be like um, focus on the process, on my systems and not on the outcome, on like fi any fixed goals. I I never really understand when people say they want to make 10k MRR, whatever. You don't have really any influence over it, right? And I would rather do stuff like, okay, I want to launch a new project every month because I have full control over that. I want to publish a, a post every week. This is what I have control over it. I want to distribute my posts consistently across Hacker News, Indie Hackers, whatever. And I, I, can't, I can't influence um, if it really will go viral. And it, it's just a recipe for <laughs> for getting mad and, and sad if you, if you kind of try to focus on um, I want to grow my Twitter following by 10k, whatever, this month because, yeah, you can't. <laughs> you, you don't have really influence over it. The best you can do is really um, right. tr try to write a tweet every day and yeah, having these kind of process goals rather than outcome goals. And That's a very good point. So instead of focusing in, as you said, instead of focusing on something that you cannot control, you do experiments on th stuff that you can control, right? Like, what will happen if I tweet every day for the next month? Uh, what did happen if I do my launch on the product hunt, right? So things that you can control and uh, then you don't feel so lost. Is that it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. That's a very good uh, point, Jacob. And I, I feel that sometimes, and you're absolutely right, a lot of people have goals that they really cannot control, like uh, F10K MRR. You, can, you see that a lot in people's profiles, people that want to achieve that. And uh, then uh, when they... And I, I'm, I'm guilty of that, right? I don't have a specific, maybe, monetary goal, but I want to, to make money. I want to live out of my project. And this is something that I cannot control, uh, obviously. Um, so I think it's a great tip to just focus on what you can control and look at everything as an experiment. Because uh, you will just learn from it and you'll see what things work and things that don't work and uh, just be okay with things not working. Because as in any good experiment there are certain things that do not work. Exactly. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very good point. As a, as a last question here for you, Jakob, what, um, what would be your advice for a bootstrapper that is just starting? Because now you've learned a lot. And I let's say that you are just starting now, right? Yourself. You, you quit your job as a postdoc and you're now starting your own bootstrapping career, um, how, would, how would you do things differently in comparison with when you actually started? Uh, what would be the first things you would do? Yeah, I think I, 
um, almost accidentally did a lot of things right. <laughs> um, so um, there are many things I would definitely do exactly the same way again. Um, uh, so just, what just... would you not do the same? <laughs> okay. Is there something? What would I not do the same? Um, probably the thing I regret the most is selling assets. And this is something I think you should never do unless it's for a life-changing amount of money. And I see this a lot. Um, and I've also heard other people talk about it, um, that it's, it's kind of tempting when you're in the trough of sorrow. Right, because you always have like this initial excitement, and then comes the trough of sorrow where everything stagnates, nothing makes sense, and it's it's then always very tempting to just give up and and just sell your stuff, and um, yeah, I would always advise against it, <laughs> unless unless of course it's for a life changing amount of money, because um, if you really want to make this work, this whole um, in the entrepreneurship thing, then you need these assets. You don't need cash, right? You need cash flow. You need a sustainable income, and you you should never should never sell. Very good, <laughs> very good point. I think that a lot of bootstrappers, including myself, would just be happy that people would be interested in buying their product. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a very good point. Don't try to sell just out of desperation. Um, so. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. And also thank you for sharing your journey and uh, your learnings here with the wannabe entrepreneurs. There's certainly a lot of things to learn from. And uh, I will also link your uh, Twitter profile and everything that we spoke about during this interview in the show notes of the episode. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you also in the WB space because... Especially if you you don't have a lot of uh, entrepreneurs or bootstrappers around you, there's a lot of them there, and we hang out all the time. So yeah, hopefully I'll see you there. Yeah, I will definitely. Um, I already signed up, right? Exactly. <laughs> I just need to become. I just need to become active. And yeah, thank you so much uh, for the yeah. invitation. <laughs> yeah, start by introducing yourself, and I think that's the best thing because you'll see it's really nice every time someone introduces themselves. Everyone will just come and say hi and introduce themselves as well. So. That, uh, that's what I always recommend people. At least introduce yourself and then see if you like it. But that's definitely the, the step that you should know. Yeah, uh, yeah makes okay. sense. Yeah, Jakob, thank you very much uh, for your time. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for the listeners, this was another interview. And if you want to hear the story of other bootstrappers, many of them, we actually spoke about it today. We have Dagobert, we have Thibaut, and we have many others. So just go to wannabe-entrepreneur.com and uh, you can see all the interviews I've done. You can also listen to my own journey, my own journey episodes. So make sure to check that out. And uh, also share this episode with all of your indie maker friends, because I'm sure they will like to listen to it too. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time. <laughs>